1 John 3, 11 to 18. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Morning, everyone. So we've been doing 1 John this year. I hope you've been enjoying beginning to 1 John. We're getting right into the middle of the letter now. Um, in any good Jewish literature, the middle bit is usually the big bit that you need to be listening listening for, the thing you need to be listening and, and understanding the most. So that's where we're getting to today. Um, you've seen in verse 11, we're looking at the message that you have heard from the beginning. We heard that kind of phrase already. So we heard about it right at the start of the letter. Chapter 1, verse 1 was the thing that we've heard from the beginning, that Jesus the eternal life has appeared to us. He came and he was born Christmas. That's the Christmas story. And he brought us into fellowship with one another and with God. That's what we've heard from the beginning. That's this message. We've heard about the message as well in chapter one, verse five. That is that God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. We've heard about that God is light. He is perfect. He is holy and he is righteous. Light is defeats all darkness. God is light. And John urges his readers to walk in the light. That's what he talks about. He wants us to walk in the light just as God is in the light. That's in chapter 1, verse 7. And if we do that, then we can be forgiven. And then we have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. That's what walking in the light looks like. And then chapter 2, there was a little spoiler for the next section of the book that we're going to be starting to look at today and in the next weeks to come. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 said, we heard this a few weeks ago, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. So we're starting to see these kind of two ways, the walking in the light, walking in the darkness. And John is talking about love and hate here as well. Walking in the light is to love our brothers and sisters. That's not your family members, it might be your family members, but he's specifically talking here, brothers and sisters in the church, the children of God, believers, other believers in the church. And then walking in the dark is hating believers in the church, our brothers and sisters. So the next thing that we're going to get onto now, we've had God is light, is that God is love. We've had God is light, God is also love. He's explained already, we heard a few weeks ago, about how we shouldn't love the world, the implication that we should love God and his ways. And we've heard about how we are so greatly loved by God. 
God has great love for us. That's at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1 that we heard last week. And now we get to verse 11. John's doubling down on that. The same message, the same gospel that he's been speaking about so far, that all the apostles are teaching, and that John is writing about here, is that we should love one another. We should love one another. So this section we're going to be thinking about this morning is how John encourages us to love one another. He's helping us, going to help us to understand what that looks like by looking at two examples. You'll see here we're going to look at the haters who walk in the dark, as we heard before, and the lovers who walk in the light. I'm going to grab the uh, clicker. Okay, so we're going to start with the haters. The bad news comes first, and then there's the good news. I've been trying to think of some instances in pop culture where hate is a big theme. I don't really like talking about hate. The only time I can really think of where hate is a big theme is in Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. If you know that, I don't know. Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, they, they, they clash over what they think is the best for the future of the galaxy. And they end up in a big lightsaber duel in a volcano, jumping over lava and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. Obi-Wan has the high ground, so of course he defeats Anakin through that. Then Anakin comes out after this. I hate you! That's, that's just how he feels. That's what he comes out as. This once master and apprentice, close friends, been ripped apart. Now one hates the other. And it's really sad. Obi-Wan replies, you are my brother, Anakin. I loved you. And he leaves him to, to die on the hill. Um, it's emotional stuff, if you're a Star Wars fan. Maybe you feel a bit of the emotion, I don't know. But we don't really like talking about hate. There's not really any other times I can think where hate is a big thing, that, that we spend time thinking about what it looks like. And we certainly don't like thinking whether we hate other people or even ourselves. But John takes care in this passage to warn us of the danger of falling into hate of walking in the darkness. He clearly thinks it's a possibility that we can hate. He thinks it's temptation. So he shows the prime example of hate in Cain. So you see that name Cain at the beginning. Um, Cain is right back from the early chapters of the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. Cain is the first human to ever have a belly button. He was the first human to ever be born. <laughs> maybe, maybe Adam and Eve had belly buttons, I don't know. But he's the first child. He had a younger brother, Abel, so Cain and Abel, these two brothers, right back at the beginning of humanity. They were both farmers. It said that Cain worked in the soil. He was kind of growing crops and things. And his younger brother, Abel, cared for livestock. So he was looking after animals. They both knew God, because of course they knew God at that, at, in that time. And they both brought an offering to God in worship and as a sacrifice for their sins, for forgiveness. Cain brought fruit that he works the ground. Abel bought the fat portions from the flock. And there's reasons we can talk about for another time, um, but the Bible says that God looked favorably on Abel's offering, and he did not look, on, he did not look with favor, favor on Cain's offering. And Cain wasn't happy with that. And God knew this. God is, the Bible even says that God spoke to Cain, and he noticed his mood, and he warned him, don't let sin take hold of you. He said, now is the time for you to do what is right. 
But if you don't know the story, John's given you a spoiler already. Cain ends up killing his brother. He's the first murderer. Cain killed his brother because of what happened. And then he even lied to God. So I don't know where, Cain, where Abel is. I'm not his keeper. No idea. And John uses this example as a prime example of hate. He says that these hateful actions of Cain were evil compared to Abel's righteous actions. And there was envy. Yeah, to be sure. Cain was envious. He was jealous. And then he had resentment of Abel, his younger brother as well, because Abel was favored by God more than he was. At the heart of it, there's an opposition here to, to God's way of salvation, to who God is and what, what he does that drove Cain to murder. If Cain wasn't going to be favored by God, then no one could. So Abel needs to go. This is what we were hearing last week, that the false teachers uh, in this church that John is writing to were like, the false teachers didn't like the idea that Jesus came. He had to come. He had to come and die to pay for our sins. So they were trying to lead people astray. That's what John's been talking about and warning, warning the readers about. The sin of denying who God is and what God has said, what he does, God's salvation, is a serious one. It's of the devil. It's evil. And for Cain, that sin led to murdering his brother. So John warns us that the world around us are going to be like these false teachers, the ones who disagree with who God is, with the gospel of Jesus. They're going to hate it, and they may well end up hating us too. The hatred of God's ways is always going to end up in a hatred of God's people who follow that way. But it's also how we can be as well. John is pitting this jealous hatred as the opposite of the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So we need to think, are there times when we let jealousy or resentment come in the way of our relationship with one another, even in the church? Can we be jealous of others' possessions or of others' reputations? or jealous of others' intellects, or their humor, their personality, how many friends they seem to have? Is there someone that you disagree with, maybe on a theological point or politically, or this isn't because of Adam, but I did write here, the football team that you support, that can, be, that can be an issue that gets in the way. Maybe there's someone who you've fallen out with over an argument, or someone who's hurt you before, do these things get in the way of our relationships with one another? And it is easy to think that you've got a rubbish deal compared to others in life or that you've been treated unfairly. Maybe that is true. But we can quickly respond by pushing people away or just decide to avoid them where possible. And maybe you do relate to one of those, but it's not murder. We're not killing people like Cain killed Abel. That's a little bit far. Yet, see in verse 15, how John recalls Jesus' words. Here it's on the screen. He wrote, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. These are words from Jesus, uh, well, similar to Jesus, when he said that even anger at a brother or sister is murder. That's in Matthew chapter 5. 
The fact that John repeats this here in 1 John is one of those reasons that we think that John is the author, because John, one of Jesus' disciples, was there. He heard Jesus speaking and teaching. He made an impact on John, and he's passing that teaching on now. When we are angry with or jealous of or resentful of a brother or sister in the church, that we're being like Cain. When we hate a brother or sister, we're being murderers. And verse 15, no murderer like Cain has eternal life residing in him. So this is serious stuff. It's not nice to really think about. And John goes further. Even ignoring a brother or sister in need is the opposite of the gospel of love that John wants us to follow. So think about in that verse 17. John writes, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? When we let our brothers and sisters go without and struggle on alone, again, we're being like Cain. The love of God is not in us. We are hating. Verse 14, anyone who does not love remains in death. So are the times when we've done this, when we've seen a need in church life and we thought, well, I'm sure someone else will do it. Or we've noticed that someone is alone or upset and we just pass by, it's a bit, bit intense, can't deal with that right now. Or have we ever chosen to avoid gathering together as a church and spend time with one another because there's something better on or it's just a bit of a drag, a bit of a drain to go and be with church again. This stuff is hard, but how often do we effectively hate our brothers and sisters in the church by doing these things? Now, don't lose hope. I don't want you to hear this and feel beaten down. I don't want this to be a guilt trip on you. That's not the point here of what John's writing, so not of what I'm trying to say. But if you find it hard, like I have done, as I've been thinking about preparing for this in the last couple of weeks, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you are in death and that is where you all belong. This is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. If you find this hard, the Spirit is convicting you to, say, to help you to think about how you're living. As we heard last week, those who are saved are becoming more like Jesus each day until the day then when we see him for ourselves and we'll be like him. He never hated. There's no hate in Jesus. And when we are like him, there'll be no hate in us either. So we're a work in progress. If you relate to some of these, don't fear, we're a work in progress. If you're feeling the weight of it, then go to our advocate that John's already spoken about at the beginning of chapter two. So Jesus is our advocate. Go to Jesus because he's willing and he is able to forgive us of our sins. He's able to help us to change as well. If you feel like, the haters is really, is really weighing down on you, then the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. So when we find it hard to love, we can look not to the prime example of hate, Cain, but we look to our prime example of Jesus as what love looks like. So, the lovers. Read in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So when we're thinking about the love 
how to love one another, the love that John is telling us about, that he wants us to follow, consider how Jesus laid down his life. He moved towards the outcasts of society, moved towards the sick, moved towards the sinful people. He moved towards the unwanted people. Think about blind Bartimaeus left on the streets. Everyone, no, be quiet, be quiet. Don't bother Jesus. But Jesus stopped. He cared. Or the woman at the well that Jesus went to in the heat of the day. The lepers that were the outcasts of society. Jesus challenged people and he confronted the unrighteous at great risk for their good. Think about Nicodemus or the rich young ruler or the Pharisees over and over again. Jesus got his hands dirty when he mixed with the crowds, went into Gentile areas. And he showed that especially when he washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So who are the people that we can move towards in love as Jesus did? Is it the person who's sat alone at the end of a church service? Or the parent who's struggling with kids? Or the person who you find more of a drain than a joy to be with? Or the person who's hurt you in the past? Jesus laid down his life in all these ways, but he laid his life down in the ultimate sense. Jesus was insulted and he was beaten and he was humiliated and nailed to a cross and left to die. And all this for us and his love for us. So he could give us those who had rejected him to give us life. This is how Jesus loved. This is how Jesus loved us. So this is how we are to love one another. It isn't the kind of Hollywood love that people in the culture tells us about. The culture says that love is affirming one another and doing what helps us to feel good, finding someone who's going to love you in return and give you something back. That's not this kind of love. So moving number two, think about uh, classic Disney movies. They generally go like this. The princess needs to be saved from some sort of problem. Usually the answer is true love, whatever that might be. Thankfully, the princess meets the prince and he comes and brings true love to her through a kiss and then the, the day is saved. That's not always the case, but especially the Disney movies when I was a kid in the 90s, all my VHS tapes, they were usually solved by some sort of romantic kiss. Sleeping Beauty, you needed the, the prince to kiss and that was the end. Or the Little Mermaid had to find True Love's kiss within three days so she'd get her, her, her voice back. Or Beauty and the Beast. Finally, she loves the beast and then the day is saved. And that's the default that we often think about when we come to love. That is the way that we love, isn't it? In Frozen, this is a classic, especially if you've got kids that are my age. We've fed the same kind of line. So Princess Anna is cursed by Elsa's snow powers. And only an act of true love is going to save her. That only true love will thaw her frozen heart and save her. They rush to Prince Hans because he is the one who's going to save her. He's the prince and true love's kiss from the prince is going to save the day. But if you know the movie, if you haven't, sorry, I'm going to spoil it completely. He betrays her and leaves her to die so that he can grab the power for himself. All is lost. But what about Kristoff? He's the unexpected man who can save the day to bring true love's kiss. But even he isn't going to bring true love's kiss or save the day. 
Eventually, it's neither Hans nor Christoph's romantic relationship that can bring the love, the true love, that we need to save the day in Frozen. This is closest to what the kind of love that John is speaking about here. Because only when Anna sacrifices herself to save her sister, when the day is saved. So the true love in Frozen is when Anna sacrifices her life to save her sister. The true love that the gospel speaks of, that John is calling us to here, is love that puts others first. And it reaches down to love rather than grabbing up to get something. It forgoes personal gain for the sake of other people. It offers up time and effort and money and reputation and does what it needs to help others. So we take that example in verse 17 again of the one who's in need. Our natural evil self walking in the darkness sees the one in need and says, I don't have time. I'm sure someone else will help. Or maybe they do show love in word and speech. I'm sorry that this is the case. Maybe say, I'll pray for you. The gospel love says, how can I help? Let me help you. Here, have mine. This is what it means to love in action and in truth. That's in verse 18. In actions and in truth. That is to love in tangible ways. In action, it means doing what we mean. It means seeing an opportunity to help someone else and put aside your own priorities to go out and help them straight away. It means not just saying that we love and doing nothing about it, but acting in love. This kind of gospel love is God's perfect plan for his people. Loving one another just as Jesus has loved us. And it serves in other ways too. When we love other believers like this, then we can be assured that we have passed from death into life. So remember those who hate, those who hate walk in the darkness, those who love walk in the light. But when we see others love, when we see others love one another, when we love others ourselves, don't let it boost your ego, but take it as a reminder of the grace of God at work in you. If you're loving and serving others, in the church, then you have passed from death to life. That's an opportunity to rejoice. And also think about how that when we love one another, that's how others know that we are Jesus' followers in the church. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, again written down by John. He gave the same command to love one another and said, this is how others know you are my disciples. This is kind of like what Anne and Adam were talking about earlier on. When we love others, people see that in our lives and they can be drawn into the community of the church. The love that we have for one another within the church should be a distinctive mark of our life together. It should act as an advert for what being part of God's kingdom looks like. Because God has loved us, we love others. That's the way that people can be drawn into that. It's kind of a way of evangelism to other people outside. But again, all of this isn't easy. It's hard to put others first, especially when the culture tells us, and maybe we tell ourselves, that we need to put ourselves first. But this love is a sign that we are born of God. It's a sign that his seed is in us, that we have his DNA. 
just like as children become more like their parents, if we are born of God, we become more like God. New life in Jesus that walks in the light, that is righteous, manifests its love for one another. This gospel of love isn't to gain acceptance from God. John doesn't say love one another so that God will love you. Later on, he goes on to say, we love because God loved us first. The love that seeks to gain acceptance isn't really love at all. But we love because we walk in the light. We love because we see how Jesus has loved us. We love because we're born of God and we want to please our Heavenly Father as his children. So each day as we learn more about Jesus, we grow in faith in him, we become more like him. And as that happens each day, until that day when we see him for ourselves, we'll be able to learn to love more like him. So what next? Got the lovers and the haters. Maybe you find this quite easy and you think actually, naturally you're a loving person. Or maybe you've learned over many years of experience of failing how to love people better. Well, that's a good thing. I say that's a good thing. When you love other people in a Christ-like way, take that as assurance that you are indeed of God. It's not an opportunity to boast, but it's an opportunity to remember that you have eternal life. That verse before that we heard last week, uh, verse 10, said this is how we know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. The children of God are those who love one another. So if you are loving one another, then that's a good thing. Let that be an assurance to you that you are born of God. But maybe you struggle to believe. Maybe you sometimes don't really think that you are loving people well. Well, let's follow John's letter here. If you struggle with that assurance, start loving. Because as we love people, we'll get that assurance that God is at work in us. There are times when it is hard, though. And when life weighs us down, we get distracted. It can be really hard to love like Jesus. It's a massive task. So just to finish off, here's some steps that are going to help us to love more like Jesus when we find it difficult. So number one, admit it. Admit that we can't love like Jesus. We are Jesus, in fact. We certainly can't love anything like him without his help. Think about the times when you effectively hate a brother or sister, or the times when you find it hard to love others like Jesus. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And then confess to God as well. Confess it to him and ask for forgiveness because we know that he is willing and able to forgive us. Lean into what we know of Jesus. He is our atoning sacrifice who's paid the debt of our sin. And he is our advocate who will stand before the Father on our behalf. And then ask. Ask Jesus for help. To love more like him, to be more like him. Be specific with Jesus. In what ways do you want to love better that you find difficult? Think about people who you could love better, you can move towards in love. Ask God for help by your spirit to be more like Jesus. And then don't just end there and think, great, I've done the job. Act. Make some plans to act in God's grace, by his power. Think of intentional ways that we can love our brothers and sisters in the church. Maybe that will even be after the service today. 
have a look around for someone who maybe is on their own or who you think is struggling. Move towards them in love. Ask about their life. Pray together. Make a plan to meet up in the week or something like that. Don't just say that you're going to do these things, but actually do it. Maybe that will look like serving at church in various ways, where there might be gaps on the rotor. Could I fill, up, fill in those gaps to serve others? Maybe that will look like sending a WhatsApp message in the week to someone that you haven't spoken to for a while, just to check in on them, see how things are going. Maybe it could be praying for someone, even someone who you don't really know that well or who's not going not gonna to get anything back from, but praying for them as an act of love. Doing it there and then if you're speaking to them or sending them a message saying, I'm praying for you today or asking, how can I pray for you today and doing it? Make a plan. By the grace of God, start loving one another. And ultimately, when we find it hard, look to Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Learn about him through his word. Pray to him. Think about him. Talk with others about him. See how Jesus laid down his life for you. And then follow him in love, to love the same way.